0: Have you found yourself listening to an episode of the Vincast, Australia's premier wine podcast, wondering how you might be able to get access to some of the wines made by some of the guests of the podcast? Well, now you can, because I've partnered up with Different Drop, an online wine retailing company based up in Sydney, but they can actually very easily send you wines anywhere in the country, and in fact, they list wines of a number of the previous guests of the podcast, so they've very kindly set up a little section on their website. So if you go to differentdrop.com forward slash intrepid wino, they've actually curated a list of wines and even some packs of former guests of the podcast. So um, guests like uh, Brash Higgins, um, Amato Vino, Unico Zello, uh, Franklin Estate. You can get wines from them and uh, put together your own little pack if you want to. And they have hu- a huge range of other wines as well. Uh, and that way you can actually uh, taste the wines as you listen to the Vincast. So thank you very much, Different Drop, for um, providing that great service. And when you do go to purchase, guys, make sure to put in the code IntrepidWino, and the Different Drop guys will give you a 10% discount. So uh, thank you for your support of the podcast, and thanks for supporting those amazing winemakers. On episode 72 of the Vincast, I chat with Adrian Santolin, a winemaker originally from Griffith, who in the last few years has very quickly established a reputation for producing exceptional wines based in the Yarra Valley. Hello there, Vincasters, and welcome to another episode of the Vincast. My name is James Gasbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. It was uh, lovely to uh, to have so much positive feedback and uh, and lots of interest in last week's episode of the Vincast with Shashi Singh. Uh, it was, of course, lovely having her on the show itself. I enjoyed the chat. I hope you did too. And, uh, it was also lovely to taste her 2014 Syrah. Now, as mentioned on last week's episode, if you would like to support Shashi, uh, definitely recommend heading to the Rootstock Sydney Festival, which is on the 28th and 29th of November. So next weekend. Uh, and that, that, where well, you you'll actually be able to, Meet Shashi yourself and taste her wine, so um, if you do go to that event, please let Shashi and any of the other uh, artisans who are going to be at the festival who have been on the podcast, let them know that you uh, heard them on the show and uh, and i would it would really be great feedback to them to to know that uh, they heard about their story. Uh, from, from, the podcast. Uh, and if you do go to the event, please keep an eye out for me. I'll actually be there working, uh, with, um, Gabriel Bini or, uh, Seragia from Pantelleria. I'll be pouring the wines all weekend, uh, because, uh, that is actually my day job, uh, working for the importer. Uh, and, uh, thank you for your ongoing support. Now, uh, I would love to hear from you as always, guys. It's great to uh, receive uh, some feedback and also uh, a rating review on uh, iTunes. Uh, And um, of course, uh, I want to hear more from you as far as um, things you'd like to hear on the podcast, ideas, uh, guests potentially you might like to hear from. So please do get in contact with me. You can email me, uh, thevincast at gmail.com or just uh, send me a message through intrepidwino.com. So on this week's episode of the Vincaster, I chatted with relatively young winemaker Adrian Santolin, who uh, in a very short period of time under his own brand has uh Crafted some amazing wines, which already are garnering a lot of attention uh, from sommeliers and uh, wine journalists alike. And so, I was really interested to kind of hear about his background and how he ended up in the Yarra Valley. And it was a really fascinating chat. Uh, he was also kind enough to uh, donate a couple of bottles for me to taste, which I did on my YouTube channel, uh, Intrepid Wino. Uh, and you can have a look at the Let's Taste Santolin, uh video and um, hear my impressions of his wines. But uh, I uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Please stick around for the end uh, so you can find out how you can get in touch with Adrian to thank him for being on the show. But uh, until then, I'll see you on the other side. Adrian, thank you very much for... uh Coming down a uh, Sunday morning and uh, and sitting down on the VinCast. Welcome. Oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, pleasure to be here. And um, if you weren't aware, I usually start every episode by asking my guest if they can remember what their first interaction with wine was that sort of made them think that they might like to uh, to work in the industry. Uh,
1: yeah, it was, it's apart from maybe uh, drinking some very low quality stuff as a very very young uh, young man. Uh, the first quality uh, quality wine that I had was probably. Uh, tyrrell's that one um, I was sort of uh, I was from Griffith where you know there's a lot of a lot of uh, bulk wine made there and uh yeah um, I, I sort of thought i wasn 't yeah I suppose at a young age also you know you sort of don't have that taste for wine mm-hmm. but uh i did I did get a, a a chance to try a wine from a different region and uh, all of a sudden I thought no hang on you know there's there's more to wine than what i've what I've experienced and
0: what was the context of tra- tasting that wine?
1: Uh, it was just uh happened to be around some some uh people that that were, you know, they were winos and uh, you know, they cracked open this bottle and mm. you know I was I was still you know sort of I suppose I was about fairly out, green uh, yeah still fairly green and then yeah they showed me that wine and I've gone well that I can actually taste the difference between that and what I've you know drank before and I actually can enjoy this so there's there's something that's that was that uh, it opened my eyes and I realised. Yeah, there's there's something more to this, and I uh, better get out there and explore.
0: Had your family been involved with wine at all when I'm um, growing up in Griffiths?
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, we, my extended family were all sort of farmers, and uh, you know we had various uh, fruit farms and and a little bit of grapes. And uh, my parents also worked in in wineries. So uh, mm-hmm. at a very young age, I, I I did want to I did want to make wine. Um, and then was that sort of like a following in the family? You know, family? Uh, yeah. I think I just sort of like making things. That, you know sort of like. Cooking and, and, and yeah, so uh, food was important as yeah, well. Yeah. Okay. So food, food and wine was, was important. Mm-hmm. And as I got a little bit older and, you know, I was in high school and I sort of thought, you know, agriculture's hard, winemaking could be hard. Um, and I, I just wanted something, I suppose, that seemed a bit more glamorous to, to a teenage kid at the time. And, uh, it wasn't
0: like a rebellion against the family. It's like,
1: oh, no, 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 it's not, not really. It was just, <laughs> yeah, there was, there's no pressure to do, to, to, to do anything. It was just, yeah, I, uh, I just thought maybe my uh my future lies somewhere else and I uh, went to uni and studied uh sports management in in Canberra.
0: So were you did you sport um play much sport when you were young?
1: Yeah, but you know, nothing nothing uh, at an elite level, but you know, I played played a lot of uh yeah, different different sports um at, at school or on the weekend and uh you know, I loved I love uh, football, you know, in terms of that, you know, soccer or or rugby league, I played a bit of that and
0: mm-hmm. uh uh, and watching it as well.
1: Yeah, I love watching it, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I still, still do get up at crazy hours at the in the middle of the night and, you know, have to watch, you know.
0: Watch, watching the Rugby World Cup? Watching. Yeah,
1: like watching the Rugby World Cup or just watching, you know, Premier League or something, you know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, it keep, keep, keeps you busy. But, uh, yeah, I sort of uh, studied sports management and uh, then basically the day I graduated I realized I probably should have done something to do with wine and so I started again and... Got so, back into do, the wine industry.
0: So, what was what was um what was it that kind of made you go? Oh, this, is it what this is not what I want to do, or I should have been doing something else, or what was it about the, the sports management course that kind of made you go not then pursue a career in that industry? Uh,
1: yeah. So it it, it was probably a tough a tough gig to uh, get a, a decent paying job or just get into. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, you know, sort of start applying for jobs and you know you sort of see the what the wage is and you're like, oh you know, maybe have I made the right career choice? Yeah. And, uh, but even getting jobs, I, there's, there's been like a lot of ex athletes that, that, that go through the, the universities doing sports management. And, uh, you know, they, they've obviously got the, the, the first choice when it comes to a couple of good jobs. So, and, you know, I, I knew I didn't have too much of a, too much of a hope of, of get landing. What I, I suppose was my dream job. And, uh, um, so I just thought, well, I, I know people in the wine industry. Um, I've got a, you know a background in agriculture you know i'm I'm not scared of hard work so maybe you know i should have stuck with what i knew Mm. and and, yeah so i went back there and uh yeah it's probably the right choice but you know it it was a good
0: learning curve and um yeah but and that's the thing you get the opportunity to kind of say is there something else out there for me to say no this is actually what i want to do and i think that probably makes you more committed more passionate about what you're doing yeah certainly does
1: and i also met a few people and uh um, Learn a few things that have sort of helped me along the way so you know it's been funny it's I've, I've you know interacted with a few of those people in terms of the wine industry as well whether it was oh, wow. maybe they needed you know in terms of sponsorship or or if they uh, they might be involved in marketing or advertising so it's yeah it's sort of all
0: intertwined in the end yeah and i think to a certain extent you know it gives you the opportunity to sort of think outside the square if you if your only experience is in in wine you know you might not see another opportunity or another way of kind of resolving an issue but you know if you if you can talk to someone who's possibly doesn't have that kind of experience they can say well why don't you do this and go i never thought about doing it that way
1: yeah it certainly makes sense because uh you know the you know, a lot of people in the wine industry are sort of stuck in their ways. So uh, sometimes you do need that, you know, to think a, a bit differently. And uh, someone, yeah, someone from the outside, they can just come up with a really simple idea, and you just sort of go, "Well, why, why hasn't anyone thought of that?"
0: Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So, so what was the first step as far as coming back to uh, to then kind of pursue a career in the wine industry?
1: Uh, I went, moved back to Griffith, and uh, just started working at uh, one of the local wineries and, uh, did a bit of lab work and, you know, enrolled in, in a winemaking course at Charles Sturt and, uh, uh and the, the, winery was De Bortley wines. Mm-hmm. Um, and they opened, they bought a winery in the Hunter Valley at that stage in 2002. And, uh, yeah. uh myself and my, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, they, they offered a, us or they offered her a job as cellar door manager. And, uh, uh, yeah, offered me a, a job as a, a as a trainee winemaker. So we moved to the Hunter Valley and uh, nice, and really, you know, sort of kicked off our, our careers in the wine industry.
0: Had you had much dealing with the Bodley, uh in the past? Like, yeah, like yeah. was there a reason you kind of went went to work? Yeah, the well,
1: I, I'd sort of worked all my school holidays there for for just you know, really pick, get a bit of cash as a, as a kid. So you know, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd you know just work whether it was a bottling line or somewhere in the cellar, just
0: you know, working there. Um, so the Griffith area is where. Um, Obviously, a lot of, as you said, kind of bulk wine comes yeah. from. But it's also where, kind of, one of the, the the iconic wines of Australia comes from, which is the Noble One, uh, Petrus Semion. Yep. Yeah. Um, was that a wine that you were kind of introduced to young? Did you, I don't know? Did you like it because it was sweet? Maybe.
1: Oh uh, yeah, I suppose you know that, that, that definitely is something that you could you you could drink. Um, uh, uh, you know now you know you probably could have a, a glass or two with some cheese and you know really enjoy it but you know you're not going to drink a lot of it i suppose when no. you when you're a bit younger you, you could probably put a, a bit more away but yeah yeah um but yeah so you know it, it was very iconic wine not just for the region but for australia and uh, they've got a you know a couple of other they've got another wine called black noble which is yes. a fortified version of of a uh, noble one and it's
0: it's it's a blend of noble one and and something isn't it um it,
1: it's they they make or a they, couple of different fortify the wine yeah, so they yeah. fortified so they have noble wine as a base and they fortify it and then age it yeah. for a bit longer and yeah, uh, yeah it's quite a nice nice oh. fortified so well, but I yeah they they you know they made wines to 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 fit certain price points and uh you know you get to see that and it's also an important part of just business i guess you know mm-hmm. sometimes you you've got to make a wine to to fit your your markets or you know and uh um it was it was good working there it, it you know got Got money as a kid, so that that was sort of the main main reason. When you know you're just on your school holiday and you you, mm. you need need a bit of cash for the rest of the year. And um,
0: how far away is Griffith from um, Walga, for example? It's about two hours. Okay. Yeah, so it's 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 not too far. Um, but you uh, but you weren't commuting as you were studying. Yeah, so studies. I
1: studied by correspondence um, uh-huh. and uh, sort of head to a res School twice a year and uh, yeah, try and. Does that not, not drink too much beer while you're there and learn, learn <laughs> something, do, do a couple of exams? Yeah.
0: Well, I, I can imagine that, you know, like, do you have much contact with the other students? Do you know sort of who the other students are, where they are, like, outside of the residential uh, school? So yeah, they come uh, together and, and kind of catch up? And yeah, say, oh, eventually.
1: Eventually you do. Uh, when you first start, um, because I'd gone to university full-time, it was really something, it was really different going, doing it by correspondence part-time. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Because, you know, you were always there. um yeah, when you're full time full time you're always there, there's, you know, lecturers, there's other people to see, and uh you you're sort of always around that university atmosphere. Yeah. Um as when I was doing it part time, you know, you've got work and you've got to come home and, and you know study and then if you do get stuck or you have a question, you know, you're sort of like, Oh do I just get on the phone and ask, you know, a lecturer or but after the first res school, you know, you get in touch with a few other students and, uh, you know, you realise there's a couple of guys that are probably studying from, you know, they're probably nearby where you live as well. So, uh, yeah, got to meet up with a couple of those guys locally and then, you know, you can always call a couple of other people that, that were, you know, are from wherever they were from and, yeah. uh, you know, get in contact with other students and, and, you
0: know, lecturers were happy to take calls as well. So, yeah. And, um, and did you get a lot out of the actual course itself as far as learning? You know, how much do you know – About sort of winemaking before you actually started the course. Um,
1: yeah, i i did a I did a couple of years full time, and obviously I had the the background of at least being involved in it as a as a child, uh, well as as a school kid um, Mm. on my school holidays, and uh, so I I knew a, a fair bit, and it was quite. Surprising when I did go to reschool school, how little some people didn't did know. Mm. Um, so well, some of the professors will be starting from scratch. Yeah, that's right. They're starting from scratch, and uh, uh, which is you know fair enough. But yeah, it's it, it was a bit eye opening. Um, I but good to also really cover the fundamentals so well. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. I was more of the opinion that winemaking is probably more of an apprenticeship. You should sort of work somewhere on the job, learn learn from that person like a mentor mm. and then maybe go to a, a TAFE or something to supplement your, your theory. Um, yeah, like I, I probably didn't get the most out of university as I'm, I'm sure a lot of people did and find that really useful. Um, I was definitely more learning on the job and uh, um, even just, you know, reading or tasting
0: wines myself, you know, so it
1: was a lot of uh, self-education
0: really. Mm. But getting access to kind of, you know, I guess you might call them industry experts, as far as the lecturers, and then also, you know, other other students. is kind—I of, I, I would think it would probably be a good opportunity to at least discuss stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Like, so it's it's once again, it's it's a chance to
1: see things from uh, different people's perspectives, different um, regions, that kind different of regions, yeah, and like uh, also being taught how to do things a certain way, and it just makes you think in a different way, it makes you think about doing things differently. Mm-hmm. And, and, so it, it gives you ideas, and uh, yeah, it's 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 something that. That's always very important because when you when I guess when you're making a wine you've got to have an idea of how you're going to do it and uh you always got to be open to the, the possibility of of doing it a different way so as, so yeah talking to different people going to university working different places you you've got to build up your, your knowledge your, your base knowledge so you can have an idea of of what needs to be done
0: in the same way that you went away and, and studied the uh, sports management course to kind of go no I definitely want to do this same sort of thing you know you, you're talking about learning about what the other opportunities are to kind of go. Oh no! I definitely want to do this.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's yeah, very much the same thing. You, you know, you sort of see a few people doing it that way, and you might go, oh, "Well, I don't know if that's the best way." But you, you know, you might go back and and, and try it out, and then you realise, no, that's not it. So, I'll, yeah. you know, I'll stick with what I'm doing, or I'll do something different. So, yeah, it's it, you, you really do need to experience a lot
0: of things. So there was a bit of a sea change up to the Hunter Valley. And, yeah, and, yeah, and 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 quite um quite poetic, I guess. in, in that, you know, it was a vat one. Um, hunter semion that actually kind of <laughs> yeah got yeah on, on the, the path that, of wine that uh, yeah I'd
1: never really thought of that that way actually but uh um it, it i do love hunter Semyon. I still do uh yeah, it's a great wine yeah great australian wine that's i guess uh in a lot of ways underrated um, it's they're they're wines that can last for years and years and, and change so so much and just become absolutely stunning wines and uh yeah i did i did like it in the Hunter Valley, just uh, you know, you make some nice amions and and, and uh, also Sh- Hunter Valley Shiraz
0: is fairly iconic as well. So it's a it was a good region to start. Sort Not of. to mention the history. I mean, oh yeah, great you know, history, I've, yeah. I've been reading um, Campbell mattinson's book, The Wine Hunter, yeah, which is you know it's a biography of Maurice O'Shea, and it's yeah. so interesting. Like thinking about you know he talks about you know when when they first started planting vines up in the Hunter Valley, and you think God. I can't imagine how hard that must have been. So just just the wine history itself of the Hunter Valley is fascinating.
1: Yeah, well that's uh, you know I think uh, some of the first I think Australia's first vines may have been planted uh, in or well, near, near in the Hunter um, certainly uh,
0: as far yeah, as commercial vines I think yeah yeah
1: yeah and so um, it it's, it is a region steeped in history and and uh, I suppose uh, learning about Morris O'Shea uh, I was when I did work in the Hunter Valley uh, for for De Bortley's, the the winemaker at that time used to work at um, Mount Pleasant, mm-hmm. which which is where Maurice O'Shea, that was his original winery, and uh, so I got a few anecdotes, which were once again good good uh just things to make you think, you know, and you know he made some absolutely cracking wines, and I was able to taste a uh, nineteen, I think it was a nineteen fifty six Richard that he he made, which was you know it was still still very much alive, um uh, uh, a pretty good wine, and uh and do you sort of think well this guy didn't have cooling, <coughs> this guy didn't have you know. Uh, all the you know mod cons that we have these days, and you sort of go well, you know, he just had an open open pot ferment, uh, wild yeast, no cooling. Uh, used to put a bit of a uh, Trebbiano in with the Shiraz, just mm. to like really underripe Trebbiano to adjust the acidity. Um, and and you just sort of you know think about yeah, know, yeah, that was someone that was uh, doing what they can with what they had. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I guess it's thinking outside the square. So one that sort of always sticks and- in my mind and I think about those things. Like if I am making something, I'm going to go, well, I don't have to do it this way because I know it can be done,
0: you know, a lot simpler or, or a different way. I think Maurice O'Shea is the absolute epitome of uh, learning by doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his apprenticeship was just doing
1: it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it's, you know, I, I, I certainly uh, think that moving to the Hunter just, you know, and, and learning in the Hunter Valley was uh, a great place to, to learn your trade because, yeah, you're doing a – you're doing semillon which is you know australias iconic one of australias iconic wines and mm. uh, hunter shiraz is is another iconic hunter mm. red and so you're sort of yeah learning a couple of you're learning about some good varieties and uh just uh, i guess some simple wine making it's a great place to learn
0: how long did you end up spending in the hunter valley uh, about th- through four years four okay.
1: years yeah um oh with all of de bortley yeah all at DeBortley i'd also so i'd do the vintage in in uh in the hunter valley and uh, because it is a little bit warmer and vintage is earlier and then i'd shoot down and do the vintage in the yarra valley as well so right okay so it was yeah a couple of vintages per year and uh, and once again that another great learning curve because you uh, you come down to the yarra valley and uh, you see the different climate and the different the the flavors in the different in the different varieties as well just compared to the hunter valley and uh, once again the people there had a different winemaking philosophy so uh, you'd yeah, it was just a an, another step in just learning about
0: all the different things that you can do, which I, I say is the number one important thing. Mm. And, of course, Yarra Valley, another uh, region steeped in, in wine history for Australia with Hubert's yeah, right. Brothers and, and, yeah. and Shadow to that kind of thing. Yeah. What was it like coming to the Yarra Valley at first as far as, you know, growing up in Griffith, Hunter Valley, is a you know, it is a warmer region to come to the Yarra Valley and sort of see – um, the wines, the you know, the, the the cooler climate, so you know, and and totally different expressions. What were your first impressions of the Yarra Valley? Um, oh, it was I? Uh, I guess it was
1: more of a, a scenic thing. I found it really picturesque. Um, uh, a beautiful,
0: beautiful place. There's a reason why there's a lot of um, tourism in that region as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. apart from the fact that it's so close to Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and and um. I guess I never really looked at it in,
1: in terms of uh, the cool climate, but I just saw it as something different. And, uh, yeah, know, it was just something that I just took on board and started looking at and going, okay, this is, this is what this looks like. This is what happens here. And, um, you know, just store all that away in the memory bank and, and uh, take, take stuff as it, as it comes. But yeah. And uh, we, you know, myself and my wife, we, we liked it here and we ended up moving here in the end. So uh, it certainly made a big imprint on us and uh, it, it's great that it's uh you know it's pretty close to Melbourne as well so it's good lifestyle.
0: And how did the the is it just three facilities or have they got more facilities to boldly? Uh
1: they they've they've got yeah the winery in the Yarra Valley um, the Hunter Valley and Griffith they've got vineyards in the King Valley. That's right. Um, and yeah that's that's about it yeah but yeah. so so it, it was good to work there because you did see yeah you know, working in the Yarra Valley you also got to see King Valley fruit because that got Moved uh, ship down to the Yarra Valley. Yeah. Um, while I was in the Hunter, we did a little bit of a Tumbarumba Chardonnay and some fruit from Orange as well. So I Ooh. got to see fruit from lots of different regions, which cool. uh, yeah, I guess it's an yeah, advantage when you're sort of working at a at a place like that.
0: Again, you know, just giving the opportunity to look at the different stuff to sort of say, no, this is where I definitely want to go. So, what, what was it that uh, what, what was your next step after working for De Bordley?
1: Uh Well, yeah, we sort of we both my wife and i we both sort of thought okay we've we've uh i think we've hung around long enough and uh it's time for a bit of a change and
0: uh were you married at this point
1: not yet not yet um (laughs) we uh we decided we'd have a well i'd go and do a vintage overseas so we'd travel overseas um worked in england in a in a pub for for a while and uh did a vintage in in italy in Francia curta and really Francia curta yeah yeah
0: yeah, that's not somewhere that people would typically go i mean if they're going to do like that kind of one they'd would go to Champagne, I yeah, guess, yeah. but what was it that led you to Franciacorta? Uh
1: Well, I've got, obviously, an Italian background, and uh, so oh, I always wanted to go to... That's why, why we're in Griffiths. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to go to Italy, and uh, you know, just being able to speak the language as well, it sort of made things easier. Um, and I just got in contact with a few people, and uh, uh, yeah, just happened to stumble across uh, this, this uh, winery in, in Franciacorta, who did a little bit of table wine as well as a sparkling wine, so I thought, oh, well, I... I don't know too much about sparkling wine, so this will be a good experience. Yeah. Um. And, Wait, so, what was the winery? Uh, the winery was called Mayolini. Uh huh. Um. It's yeah in a little town called Ome, and the region is Franciacurta, And they yeah specialize in sparkling wine. They uh they had some you know some really good uh equipment and uh some nice underground cellars where they was you know aging all everything on on, on lees and mm-hmm. uh, uh and I think the important part was also that they did that little bit of table wine, so I got to sort of experience um you know the the whole range of of of, of fruit that was coming from from yeah. that that region yeah uh and also got to uh make a a wine from a variety I'd never heard of and uh that was just sort of native to 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 uh their their region a grape was called mayolina and I think it was an, Named named after names after after it might may've had some links to to their actual family which was mm. so was really interesting um uh yeah and I sort of didn't know what to what to do with it you know I tasted a couple of uh, previous vintages and uh, it was a really just interesting grape it was a, i suppose a little bit like Shiraz, but 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 not and uh <laughs> uh yeah and so uh yeah the the wines looked really interesting and uh it was great to be involved with sparkling wine because uh yeah like I said I would never had much to do with it before so um and also just seeing the, the the different fruits, different varieties, and um.
0: the James Halliday top one hundred for two thousand fifteen is announced this very weekend. And if you're not familiar with the name James Halliday, which you should be, he is the man behind Wine Companion. Wine Companion is uh, an amazing resource for information and tasting notes about. Lots and lots of Australian wines and um, they actually support the podcast um, in some small way through promotion. And in return, you, the listener, can actually get access to their uh, subscription with an amazing deal. If you go to uh, winecompanion.com.au and when you apply for any subscription package, if you put in the code Intrepid30, they'll give you an incredible 30% discount which is amazing uh, way to uh, have that resource online and through um the, the magazine uh, and actually support um uh, so many of the australian winemakers who very kindly donate their time to be on this podcast so thank you very much wine companion i look forward to finding out what those top 100 wines of 2015 are did you get to travel much at all whilst you're in italy or in europe yeah
1: yeah so I've, I've got family that are in the venetal region and uh so uh once I did the vintage there uh, we spent a bit of time traveling around the place so we obviously uh, Franciacorta is in Lombardy so it's, it's it's we were near Milan we were near uh, uh Brescia and Verona and uh, then headed over to to see my Relos in in there in Treviso so uh mm. headed over to to Venice pl- plenty of times and uh speaking of sparkling wines yeah yeah so yeah, and that's probably that was probably another choice but I just happened to yeah getting contact with uh this place in 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 rather than the Veneto region and uh uh and then yeah we did a couple of trips to Florence and Rome probably we we mainly stuck to the the northern part of Italy just because uh it was we had a base to travel from mm-hmm. with uh where More I was accessible. working and then rellos as well so uh, um but yeah, it was a
0: it was a really good experience. And were you trying you know, as much wine as you could whilst you were there? Were you, were you interested in sort of had you had much experience with Italian wines or Italian varieties before that? Uh, not too much. I mean, uh, you know, you'd probably only see I think that stage
1: in Australia. There was only like you know Sangiovese. There might have been a few. years. there was a little bit of Barbera around. Um, I think you'd see some of the first Nebbiolos sort of coming out. And
0: uh, it was Pinot
1: Yeah, it was Grigio. Yeah, and. Uh, um, I think there was all, yeah. Obviously, it's a Spanish variety, but there was some Tempranillo around as well. Um, yeah, you know, there, there. I don't think there was that much that much a uh, focus on attained varieties yet. Like there was, it was the beginning of it certainly. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, we, I don't think everyone had sort of dug right into what 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 the varieties can really do in Australia. But
0: were you interested in tasting
1: a lot of wine whilst? Yeah, you're yeah. Interested? So yeah. Luckily, the the owner of the winery where I was working was friends with a uh, um, uh, mm-hmm. um, so we you know, sort of headed down there one day and uh, uh, tasted a few of their wines, and obviously also travelled around Francia Curta and, and tr- I tried a few other sparkling wines and tried tried a few uh, wines from the Veneto region and uh, and also uh, uh, the Trieste region as well. Mm. So that, yeah, that's all sort of close by. Um, so once again, it was mainly you know northern Italian wines or um, all- also, where I was working, they they did they did buy some uh, Sicilian grapes as well and bring them to the winery. So, um, yeah, and that's that's sort of where I probably got my first introduction with uh, Nero d'Avola. Mm. Yeah.
0: So uh, when you eventually ended up back in Australia, what was uh, the next step then?
1: We're uh, yeah, basically just trying to find find a job. It's a you know it's a pretty tough, especially in the Yarra Valley. There's you know because it's near a, a capital city. It's pretty tough finding a a, a job, and uh, people can commute a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, you know, we were we uh, Rebecca found a job fairly easily, and uh, she she worked for she started working for uh, McPherson's as part of the To Built Group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found, I started working for Rochford, and uh, yeah, and then worked at a couple of little wineries around the place. And I was, I was just trying to uh, get as once again as much experience as I could before uh, sort of deciding where we could really sort of settle down and, and, and make our own wine. So, um, so
0: had you had for a while the idea to kind of do
1: something for yourself? Yeah, definitely. That was, that was always my plan. I just uh, sort of had to, uh, had to convince Rebecca that that's what we had to do. Cause, uh, obviously, you know, to make your own wine, you, well, you know, you either need some of your own equipment or you, or you need, you know, you need to buy grapes obviously. And, uh, and once you make the wine, you need to sell it, which is the important thing. And, uh, so you know, she talked a little bit of sense into me, and we we waited till I guess the right time, and uh, yeah, but that was something I always wanted to do, and uh, yeah, I, I
0: worked for a few years to try and twist her arm to to <laughs> take the step and let's let's do this. Because obviously, that's one of the, um, I guess, one of the barriers about wine is that there is a fair amount of um, money you have to. Put put down, you know, as far as investing. Okay, well, first I have to buy the fruit, and then I have to either buy or lease equipment and space yeah. in a winery, and you know, and then it'll take time to mature enough to put it into bottle, and then put it into the market to then get my money back. So, you know, from from start to finish, we're talking you know, at least a year and a half. Yeah, so you're talking a year and a half before you can
1: sell your product, and and, and, and in that time you need to sort of make two vintages worth of
0: wine and so and the grape growers you know are not going to say oh it's okay we'll just would we'll, you just pay us <laughs> when when you get money for the wine no yeah so they right, want yeah. Payment.
1: that's right so uh it's it is a tough industry to get to get going in and sort of that's sort of why we chose the the current path that we're on um i was working at a couple of different places where uh, they probably wouldn't have let me make my own wine there but uh i was sort of lucky enough to stumble across a Rob Dolan Wines. Yep, uh, and Rob had had just moved into the old Yarraburn facility in in Warrandyte in the Yarra Valley. And, yes, uh,
0: I, uh, I went there not long after he actually moved in.
1: Yeah, and uh, I sort of actually, a pro, I had some crazy idea that I would leave the wine industry to actually make wine in the wine industry. So uh, I, I actually left full time employment in the wine industry and was working you know, just doing something completely different. And I had the idea I'd just sort of approach someone and say, hey, I'll I'll even work a couple of weeks for you for free during vintage. If I can make my few barrels of wine here, I'll, you know, I'll, I've will i organized the fruit myself, I'll do everything myself. And once vintage is over, I'll tuck the barrels away in the corner of your shed and, uh, you know, I'll just come here on a Friday or something and top them up or check us sulfur and do whatever I need to do. So I went and actually see Rob about that and he just sort of said, well, how about I just give you a job as a winemaker and you can do your stuff here as well. So, uh, I said, well, okay, that oh, that gee, sounds good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you yeah, know, that, that obviously helps with the, the equipment side of things. So, you know, I get to use the, the, the facility and, uh, it's a pretty good facility. Yeah, it certainly, certainly is, you know, it's, there's a lot, lot of, uh, open, open pots and, uh, you know, there's a beautiful big barrel shed. So, uh, and, uh, yeah, had all the equipment that you need. So, you know, I was able to, to do what I needed and, uh,
0: even for sparkling wine too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I unfortunately, we don't make too much of that, but it, it, <laughs>
1: it obviously was, uh, it was set up to, to do a lot of sparkling wine. So it, that's probably yeah, at work for Rob Dolan Wines. That's probably one of the, challenges that we we do face a little bit like we we mostly do pinot and chardonnay table wines and uh the place you know was originally set up for sparkling wine so it, it was a bit of a challenge just sort of handling things but you know we every year we we improve the place a little bit and sort of are you uh,
0: tempted at some point in the future to maybe make some of your own Francia corta uh
1: <laughs> it, it, yeah it's, it's always at the back of my mind i, I do a little bit of a I do a little bit of prosecco at the moment, um, so uh, so I've sort of gone down the the more venital path on yeah. well, the family yeah the, family <laughs> <laughs> roots yeah yeah so uh, it's only a, only a little tiny bit but uh, yeah so I still have that interest in in, in sparkling wines uh, but I, I won't I won't ever fully. Go that side, but yeah, it would always, always be a part. Yeah. Oh, Veneto, they do everything anyway. <laughs> yeah. So it might be, yeah. Maybe that's where, where, uh, gonna, my ideas are sort of coming from. It's, you, yeah. you go
0: and you go and you visit a, a, you know, a lovely big Prosecco producer yeah. and they make like every variety you could possibly think of. Still wine. And, yeah. You know, yeah. And it's, yeah. It's like, okay. Well, cool. Yeah. Pin, Pinonero in Veneto. <laughs> Interesting.
1: Yeah. So uh, I've tried to, Tried a lot of uh, fairly
0: interesting Merlots in, in that region as yeah. well. Yeah, so. Merlots and Cabernets and stuff. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, and so how did you sort of start to source fruit to to make uh, your your own wines?
1: Well, so the first year I was just going to make a little bit of Pinot and uh, I sort of just thought, oh, yeah, where, where am I going to get some quality fruit because I, I just didn't want to find anything. I wanted to really make a, a good wine, so I wanted the the best fruit. And uh, I used to work with at De uh a viticulturist named Stuart Proud, mm-hmm. and uh, sort of gave him a call, and and he said, well, just so happens that I'm started managing a, a new vineyard, which was the the it's called the Simon Yarrow Vineyard or the Thousand Candles Vineyard, and uh, there's a bit of fruit for sale, and uh, yeah, you're most welcome to to purchase it. So I knew, yeah, uh, you know, I know that he does a brilliant job. He's a great great vineyard manager, mm. and uh, yeah, so I bought a little bit of a pinot and that was a that was a start and it's I've, i still i still uh get fruit from that vineyard now and uh yeah it's a really good site and good aspect to the vineyard i think
0: now it's pretty sought after fruit Yeah,
1: it is there's a lot of people getting getting <clears throat> it uh it, it does a lot of
0: really good wine comes out of it
1: yeah there were actually uh, a couple of days ago we had a little tasting at the vineyard with everyone that makes wines from from that vineyard and you know uh I think every i was pretty much impressed by every every wine that was there, so it it there is a character to that vineyard and uh and it's it's most importantly it's a it's a it's good quality fruit and it's a it's a good character so uh mm. yeah
0: what was the first uh, actual vintage for santalon wines uh two
1: thousand and twelve so I did a two thousand and twelve Pinot, um just two tons uh and yeah i just sort of i sort of went down the path of uh very minimal intervention. Uh, which would have been my style anyway, but that one, I, I, I sort of decided how about I treat this Pinot a bit like a Chardonnay and get in there and stir the barrels and really get the lees in contact with the wine and, and, uh, keep doing that regularly. And, uh, but yeah, I, there was, you know, no tannin added, no, no, uh, tartaric acid added. Uh, I didn't filter the wine and I bottled it in, uh, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't filter it. And, uh, so the wine does have this sort of haze, but I quite like that, like that haze. And it was a, probably it's still
0: the Burgundians seem to like it.
1: Yeah, it's still my favorite. It's probably still my favorite wine that I've I've made, and so I've I've kept a, a fair bit of it myself, and uh, yeah, I'll see how it goes in in the future. But it's it's uh, yeah, I was pretty pretty happy with how it turned out. Um, since then, I've sort of, uh, I guess I went a little bit more commercial. I you know, I uh, do. Con- racket conventional yeah maybe um, con- conventional, conventional yeah that's probably a better word um i do racket nice and clear so the wines from then on have been clear i think uh i'll i'll go back to the the slightly more more hazy and uh hazy wines maybe when i make a bit more of a name for myself <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so, so you started with Pinot in the first year? Yeah, and then uh, next year I added a Chardonnay. So uh sourced that from a, a vineyard that I was living pretty much right next to in, in Churnside Park uh, at the time. Uh, it's, you know, the vineyard was about 20 years old and uh, the, you know, the it was, a you know, well looked after and uh, got some good fruit from it and uh, – yeah, so we added that, and then uh, also started making a few other wines that year because uh, we were sort of lucky enough to stumble across Naked Wines, um, and they're they're an online retailer, but they they support small winemakers. So, so they they
0: is this the one that's based in the UK?
1: Yeah, so they they were based. They started off in the U, UK with a, um, their founder actually started Virgin Wines with with, you know, with Richard. Richard Branson, so uh, his name was Ron Gormley. And uh, I think Virgin Wines got bought out by Direct Wines at some stage and he said, well, I don't like the way you're sort of headed. I'm going to start my own one." And he started Naked Wines in yeah. 2008. Yeah. And it was basically uh, the way it works is you customers pay in, in the UK, they pay £20 a month up front um, and that money builds up in their account and then they can buy whatever wine they they can use as money they've already deposited or they can spend a bit more money and, and buy the wines that are on offer, mm. and it's a good business model for Naked Wines because they've obviously already got the the, the money in the bank, mm. and they can use that money to to support and uh, fund small winemakers. So uh, for myself, for instance, if I need a, a barrel, I can just sort of you know sort of send them an email, and they'll send me a bit of cash to to, to pay for barrels and fruit
0: along the way. So it's it's great cash flow, and so it's almost like it like an investment scheme. Like like the customers are investing yeah, their yeah. money and naked wines are kind of like their their brokers you know and they and they're seeking out the you know the the good stocks yeah yeah which, well, they, which, are, which are, you know in this case is yourself you know and and in, investing money into your business and then getting getting the dividend which is yeah, the wine yeah, the, the wine making, and, yeah okay yeah
1: so and that works well because if they're investing the money they know that they're going to get the wine and they know it'll be sold because these people have already paid for the sure their wine um and it's Great for winemakers as well because you're making this wine and you know you're going to sell it. Yeah, yeah, of course. So uh, it, it, you know, and uh, it's a great way to start as a as a small winemaker. But then they all their members are called angels, and that comes from <laughs> a, it comes from a term. I think, uh, I'm not sure when when this was happening, but in in America, I think uh, uh people used to invest in theater productions. And they were known as angels, these people that would invest. And oh. so this is sort of like the same. So
0: it's got nothing to do with the angel share where like. No, no, it just uh, uh, probably, probably works out,
1: <laughs> probably works out well. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of the same idea where the, the, yeah, you know, it's crowdfunding really. And, and, yeah, and exactly. you invest in, in, in people's, uh, people's, uh, craft and, uh, you, you get
0: something out of it yourself. Okay. And so, and, and that partnership allowed you to. Yeah. do make a few more wines. So, uh, um, do, do they kind of. Um, say, oh, could you make a wine like this, or have you thought about making, you know, a Shiraz, or uh, you know, that kind they, of thing? they
1: sort of leave it up to you. You sort of make what you want. Uh, they do sort of. Uh, they do tell you maybe what volumes they, they need. Obviously, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and they 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 also tell us, uh, you know, they might have enough shiraz so if you were thinking of making a shiraz they might go well we've got a lot of it is there something else that you want to do and sure yeah, there's a little you know hints that they might encouragement yeah there's encouragement um but yeah you're basically left to your own devices and uh um and uh, we we started with them in 2012 uh just sort of stumbled across them we were actually my wife sort of came up with a label for for something else we we just sort of thought maybe We'll have our our premium range and we'll make a little separate label where we can make that a more consumer sort of based, a a Mm. customer based thing. And uh, uh, we showed this label and our business idea to someone and they they thought, oh, it's probably not the right thing for us but there's these guys called Naked Wines looking for winemakers around the place. And, uh, yeah, so we showed the label to them and they're like, yeah, let's – you can – be part of the team, jump on board. So when Naked Wines launched in Australia in 2012, we were one of the first, well, we were the first winemakers to jump on board and, and, uh, started making wines with them. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, 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 we haven't looked back. We, we, we haven't looked back with, with them. Like, uh, we've made, made quite a few different wines. Um, and, uh, it's all, you know, it's all been good. It's, and it's been important to our business because, uh, if, I, I guess if we weren't, involved with those guys, I, I wouldn't have made too many other wines under my own current label as well.
0: And so how has the range evolved since then? Yeah, so with Naked Wines, I
1: obviously did a little bit of Pinot and Chardonnay as well in, in a premium level, but they, they're also about mid-level mid and entry-level wines, and so I was able to, to do a, a Shiraz Viognier out of, out of uh, Central Vic. Um, I do a little sort of Alsace blend, for lack of a better, better term. Um, no, it's a Frioli
0: blend. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. what are the varieties?
1: Uh, there's uh, there's Gewurz, Riesling, Pinot Gris, um, and sometimes there's either Save Blanc or, or Viognier in there as well. So
0: yeah, it's mostly it's an Alsace blend, I guess. Yeah, it's, yeah
1: um, but it's you know it's it's an off dry style, and we just want it to be a delicious you know a delicious wine, easy drinking, and uh, it, I wouldn't have got the opportunity to do that if I was just on my own. It's it's so it's Naked Wines has given us to a, a chance to make a few. Different wines and uh, um, and make a, a bit more wine as well. So it's important for our business, but it was also important, uh, I
0: suppose, I suppose uh, artistically as well. But there's also been a more recent addition, which uh, is a little bit more in connection with your uh, Italian heritage, which is the Nero d'Avola.
1: Yeah. So uh, I always wanted to do Italian varieties and. Uh, I decided to start with the Nero because uh it was it's a wine that I uh, love, you know, if you travel around southern Italy, that's probably the virtually the only wine you get served anywhere. Everyone's got Nero d'Avola down in Sicily. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh and I just thought it's a variety that's very well suited to to Australia in in the warmer parts and uh Chalmers, I get the fruit from Chalmers vineyard in Heathcote and they they sort of they they specialize in bringing these mediterranean varieties to australia so mm-hmm. they, they, they're they great at viticulture uh they've, they've got the right clones uh they they know how to grow these grapes and so i knew i'd get some quality grapes and uh it's yeah like i said it was a variety that i wanted to work with and uh uh it's a variety that is great to drink it's you know it's it's spicy it's it's got some nice fruit flavors and it's just easy drinking and uh um what you, yeah, with it is what you see, what you get. It's got some nice tannins, but it's, it's a, it's an easy drinking wine and, and it's delicious at the same time. It's not bland. And, mm. um, so I decided to make that and that's, that's been going well. And I, you know, I've, I, 2014 was my first vintage of that. And, uh, yeah, it went, went well. And, uh, I've sort of doubled the production from two to four, four ton for 15. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a wine that's, yeah, I think well suited to, to Heathcote, certainly.
0: That's exciting, you know, and it's also you know it, it's nice to kind of see the the evolution of of the the Santolin story, I guess. And yeah. What what about for the future? Have you got any other ideas, other varieties you like to work
1: with? Yeah, well, I'm probably thinking about doing some Vermentino. Once again, I sort of like that as a white variety. Um, it once again easy drinking, but loads of flavour, well suited to sort of warmer warmer climates. Um, so I may do that. For vintage 16 i just gotta whether i lock it in or not i'm still sort of tossing up but <laughs> yeah I've, I've got to sort of manage my workload because uh i've got obviously the full i've still got the full-time job at rob donald wines i'm doing my own thing and uh, uh my wife uh, just gave birth to our third child oh, all, about a week ago well. so uh, we've, we've got a fairly full house now and uh so we we, we keep busy
0: well um considering that I might uh, end the episode there it sounds like you've got uh, plenty of things to to keep you occupied but I do <laughs> certainly appreciate you uh, making some time uh, to sit down on the podcast uh, today Adrian and um, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you um, to find out how they can uh, source your wines and 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 keep in touch with you
1: oh yeah so that'll be our website which is uh currently being redeveloped but uh yeah so it's www sanslin.com.au and sanselin spelled s-a-n-t-o-l-i-n
0: and uh, on social media
1: yeah we're on facebook and twitter so uh
0: just search Sanslin, uh sanselin wines and uh it'll it'll come up fantastic and definitely uh seek out some of those wines guys they're already turning some heads and no doubt they will continue to do so in the future but uh i look forward to uh tasting some of the wines oh well,
1: thanks and uh, thanks
0: for having me and uh no my yeah. pleasure hey, cheers cheers And thank you very much, guys, as always, for listening to this episode of The Vincast. I have been James Gasbrook, otherwise known as The Intrepid Wino. And, of course, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Intrepid Wino on uh, Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Intrepid Wino. The Intrepid Wino uh, YouTube page is where I do all my tasting videos. Uh, of course, you can follow The Vincast on Twitter at The Vincast. Uh, Please subscribe to the the podcast on iTunes, uh, Player FM, Stitcher, any number of different podcast hosting apps or programs. Uh, And if you do that, please leave me a rating and review. It uh, is really great to hear feedback and uh, get the word out to other potential wine-loving podcast listeners. Of course, all that information is at intrepidwino.com. Uh, and that's where you can uh, get in in touch with me if you choose to and uh, I appreciate you listening as always looking forward to next week's episode hopefully looking forward to seeing some of you at Rootstock Um, but until next time, bye!